0: Amen, amen, you may be seated. Well, it's good to see you on this uh, holiday weekend for those who are here in person. If you're online, you're listening from uh, some nice location, then uh, thank you for listening <laughs> this morning, wherever you are. Uh, so uh, if you are doing that, please um, feel free to reach out to us and uh, list a little comment from where you're listening to and who you are, and we'd love to get connected to you. Um, so my name's Michael, and I'm the pastor here. And uh, we've been in the series about doors. And uh, we'll have another door today. And before that, I just want to ask you to pray uh, for the Dembowskis. Uh Greg's dad has been in the hospital, and uh, that's actually where they went. And so he shared the quiet time talk with us and uh, then had to go there. He's um, been kind of up and down. And uh, so just be praying for them. As you know, uh, Greg lost his mom this year as well. And so. I've just been kind of a lot of things going on for them, so yeah, please be praying for them. Uh, and then uh, my mom is here uh, with us, so uh, I'm afraid to say hi to her before uh, you leave. Um, it's been a joy to uh, be with family recently, as I know um, it's uh, special to you as well. And so today we'll be in Exodus chapter 12. So we were in Genesis last week, and now we'll be in Exodus uh, chapter 12, we're kind of moving through this. Uh, there will only be seven or eight doors that we'll actually look at throughout the scriptures. So we're not going to hit every book of the Bible. We're certainly not going to hit every theme. But we're certainly going to continue to look back to this idea that these doors um, really represent uh, like our right standing and our salvation, our place with God forever. And as we look at the Old Testament, we're going to see that there are all these doors that point towards this future coming of Christ and, and what that means for us, that we have this special place with God. So we don't want to miss this. We don't want to look at a door in the Old Testament and go, oh, that's a door that doesn't matter. The ark door, it closed. God saved Noah and his family and then destroyed everything and everyone else, right? And so that was salvation for his family. Today, we're going to be looking at the Passover door. So if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 12. If you don't, there should be one in front of you uh, or in the uh, little insert in the chair that you can grab, Okay. So, as we know, uh, Moses wrote the uh, the books of the Torah, the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and he's writing this kind of all around the same time. God is giving this to him uh, while God's people are, are kind of struggling. They're at a time, they're trying to figure out like, who are we? Um, what does belonging to God mean? And so he's Uh, through what God is doing, he's given them these words of what's taken place in history and in their story. They're like, we just experienced this. We just, like, we were in Egypt, and you're like, yeah, that was such an awesome time. Um, But how much more does it mean to us standing in our place in history, being past the time of Jesus and what all that means? It's just, I don't know, it's amazing to me. Uh, And so as I was beginning to think about, like, people's concepts of God and, like, these doors that we look at, like the ark door, that's a hard one. Because what did did we say last week? The Lord shut the door. And what did that mean? Well, it meant salvation for Noah and his family, but destruction for everyone else and everything else. So it was salvation there. But what do we see here at the Passover door? God God expands this to the entirety of the Hebrew people. And he said, these are my people, and I want the world to understand that I think they're special, that I value them, and I want to take care of them. And for the people who have been oppressive, the Egyptian people, who have put them in slavery. I want to show them just who the one true God is. And so we're going to see this word for uh, Lord Jehovah. And we've talked about it before, but it's all throughout the Old Testament. And when people said it, it meant something. It meant that they were talking about the one true God. They weren't talking about all these other little gods. They weren't talking about these, these men who would consider themselves gods, who were kings or pharaohs. They were talking about the one true God. And we're going to see that even in the midst of the Egyptian people and all the things that they went through at the end of this final plague, there's going to be this person, Pharaoh, who was considered a God at the time, who would even say himself, go serve Jehovah. And so he acknowledges who God is. So um, I'm excited about it, but before we get into that, I want to talk about a few different things. So our, our understanding of like the Old Testament, and Old Covenant, and then our understanding of the New Testament and the New Covenant. So when we look at God in the Old Testament, a lot of times we, we think, that must have been a different guy. Like he was you know, upset, he was angry, Like he, he seemed like, man, he was going through uh, maybe some tough stuff. And so he judged the people, but, but there's always this response to sin that has to be addressed. And we'll see that, that although God separates the Hebrew people, he, he asked them to do something. It was going to be symbolic of what Christ was going to do in the future. And it was taking the lamb's blood, and it was putting it on the doorpost. It was putting it on the sides of the post to identify not just who God's people were, but to say that there, there has to be some sort of consequence. There has to be something that's going to happen, a shedding of blood to cover my people's sin, and so we we sometimes think about that. Maybe it was too harsh. Maybe God, you you all those animals. Think of all those little lambs, you know, four lambs. But there had to be a right response to sin, to the covering of it. And then we get to the New Testament, and we you know we think like, oh wow, you know Jesus has come. This is so great. Like God's not upset anymore. He's not angry. Like he's not just you know uh, he's not bringing down the plagues. Uh, but what we we see in the New Testament is that there there is this amazing individual, God himself, who comes down and he takes on sin for us and he shed his blood on the cross so that we don't have to keep going like, I got to go and get another lamb, man, because I messed up again today. I mean, like if that was some of us, we'd be like, uh, and I, I need a lamb every day. <laughs> I need to go. I need to go back to the temple and say, "Okay, priest, here's the lamb. Like, here's where I messed up today, and it's just not going well." Right? We, we'd be going through tons of lambs, okay? Uh, but for the people, he just said, "Hey, I just want to set up this, this one time so that we'd understand that there has to be the shedding of blood for the remission of sin and the covering of it, so that we might be in right standing with God." Okay? So God doesn't change. Again, we're going to kind of talk about this throughout the series. God doesn't change. But what does he do for us? He 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 takes away this need for us to to take an animal, to make a sacrifice, to cover the of our sins with the blood of something else, but simply to cover it with Jesus. And so, you might be wondering. I had a couple questions this week, also, the um, <laughs> phone calls, some text, So this is like this is interesting. I have never heard about this before. Like all the doors in the Bible, what exactly, you know, does this mean? And I'm going to continue to go back to this doorway. Whether, wherever you see it throughout the Scripture, is this point of access to God. is this place where we either find ourselves on one side of the door or the other. Either we belong to God or we don't. Either we have salvation or we don't. And so in talking about these doors, we see that Noah's door, what, what do we say? Well, God shut the door, right? There's a, there was a closing of that. And then today we'll see that the Egyptian people in captivity, they had to put the lamb's blood above the doorposts and they were saved. The next week, we're going to jump to the temple, and we're going to see how this inner temple door, which people were never allowed to enter except for the one priest, one time a year to make the sacrifice. We're going to see that when Jesus died on the cross, what did he do? He, he, he ripped that veil in half, and so we have direct access to God. So there's that temple door that now, because the Spirit lives inside of us, we have access to. There's another door we're going to look at, the sheep's door, and it's a door that people find themselves going through a gate that people find themselves going through and then sitting under God himself as their shepherd so we have protection there's another door another tomb a stone that was rolled away the tomb's door which shows us that we can have right standing with God because he actually accomplished what he said he was going to and there's a narrow door you probably have heard of the narrow door before and it's one that's kind of scary when we read it and we go like there's this narrow doorway and This is a small path that that people actually who who will find themselves in heaven one day. Now, the good news is God gives us an easy way to see through the scriptures. Like, where do we find ourselves? Are we on this side of the door or are we on the other? Are we on that narrow path? God makes it clear for us. The last door we'll look at, this will be in March when we end the series, will be a door that says if we we knock on the door of salvation, there's good news. Jesus is going to open it up. He said, you know, you don't have to have a special key for it. You just simply need to believe, and believe me you, when you come to that door and you're ready to make a decision to follow Jesus, he's going to say, come on in. There's no entry fee. He's not the bouncer that's standing at the door going, you're not cool enough. You don't have enough money. You don't have enough status or position. He says, "Yeah, all people are welcome. And that's the good news for us. So as we talk about these doors, I want us to think about that. It's not just like there's this one door at the ark. There's not just this one door that we're going to talk about today. That's the, it's really the entryway, the doorpost. It has to be covered with something, some sort of blood for remission of sin. But there's a lot of doors, and they all point to the one thing, that we can be in right standing with God. And so with that, <clears throat> first fill in the blank if you like to write stuff down. Is on the screen? You can tell we need a new projector, right? <laughs> You're like, we got that for a reason. It's here, so uh, we we'll are be working on getting that up. Um, so it's there right now. So renewal by design, renewal by design. And so, uh, again, from the beginning of time, we, we got to get away from this concept that it's like God doesn't know what's going to happen. He's constantly reacting to situations, and that's what we do, right? We go, oh, no, this thing happened. Now we have to make an adjustment. Now we have to do this new thing. Now we have to figure out like, like what's going to happen because we didn't foresee this, but God sees everything. So he exists outside of time. And so from the very beginning, he created man, and he knew that they were going to continually fall short of his glory. I think we've seen that somewhere else in the Scripture, haven't we? Right. So, so God already knows this, but he continues to make a way for his people to be saved, to belong to him, to know that they are valuable. And so in Exodus chapter 12, we'll look at verses 5 through 7 first with these designed instructions that God is going to give. In verse 5, chapter 12, it says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the month, and when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and lintel of the house in which they eat. So... God from the beginning he has this plan he's going to show the Egyptians he's going to show the people who think that there's all these gods to everything all these gods little g and they even worship Pharaoh as a God and, and all the plagues were not about punishing the Egyptians it was about everyone in that situation not just the Egyptians but the Hebrew people who had been in captivity who had been in slavery to help them understand that there is a God there is one God and he cares about you and he hears your cry doesn't he? Isn't that good news that he hears us? And so there was this guy named Basil the Great. He was a church father. He said this about verse 7. Moses caused the doorposts of the Israelites to be signed with the blood of the Lamb, but you have given us a sign, the blood itself, of a Lamb without blemish, slain for the sins of the world. And that was his ex- exegetical homilies on Exodus. And so <clears throat> I love this because this this does it. points us to this future hope that we have, and so God wasn't just going like, yeah, I mean, take the limbs, put the blood on the doorpost. It's an easy way to identify. So this angel of death, this destroyer that we'll see in the text, um, wouldn't be confused. <laughs> because if you read this, like, God could do anything he wants. He could have sent the angel down. He's like, all right, you know who the Hebrew people are? You know who the Egyptians are? Do your thing. But no, he, he, he had the people walk through this symbolic expression of covering Their sins of covering their family. So take the lamb. What are you going to do with it? Well, he gives them uh, this uh, design protection. So then we jump to verse uh, 11b. So the second part of this, verse 11. And it says, It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and all the gods of Egypt. I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So in this design, there's this affirmation. So when God's even talking about himself here, it says, it is the Lord's Passover. It's the Lord's Passover. Whose? Jehovah's, which is the one true God's Passover. Passover. And when the people heard this, they wouldn't have been confused. They'd been like, oh yeah, it's not like the God of Ra. It's like the God of Pharaoh and all these other gods in between. No, he says, this is the Lord's Passover. And you're going to remember it because you're going to continue to use it. It's one of our sacraments or ordinances. It's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. What has Jesus done for us? Well, it started back in the Old Testament when God said, I'm going to institute my Passover. And that's exactly what he did. He says, I am the Lord. And God always protects his people, and he, he made a way. He continues to do this, even though they continue to fall short. And he continues to go, okay, there's going to be consequences for your sin, but I'm going to continue to give you this opportunity to come back to me and belong to me. And so that's renewal by design. The second part of this is a renewal by worship and obedience. Um, there's, there's really no way for us to exist in a space like knowing God and supposedly following him if we we don't humbly come before him and go, you are the God of the universe. Like, we we are not. Uh, left to ourselves, we're going to see this over and over again. When people come to that door, they go, no thank you, because I want to do it my way, right? That's a famous song. Um, I think it was Sinatra. You usually hear it like a funeral, right? It's like, you know, I did it my way, right? Uh, no disrespect, but maybe that's not the best way, Right? And so we've got to think about this and go, that there's a reason why God has to continually go, stop doing it your way. It doesn't work, right? It's always going to lead to a bad place. And so this is why we have to come back to We We know what the truth is as believers. We know what the design is. And then here we see in the second fill-in-the-blank worship and obedience. Like, if we don't have worship and adoration for God, if we don't obey Him, if we don't have humility towards Him, towards the church, uh, then, then, then where are we? I mean, we're probably in a pretty confused place, if I had to guess. Um, and so we'll jump to verse 21. We'll do 21 through 28. And in 21 through 23 is really just kind of this beginning. We see when, when a holy God's wrath and mercy are revealed our only response should be worship and obedience, right? I mean, like, these people were falling on their faces, like we're gonna see, like, how often do we do that? You know, it's like, it's like you know, thank you, God, for saving me, you know, and uh, I'll see you next Sunday. Or, you know, I might think about you in a month or, <laughs> or something like that, but we, we don't have reverence at times, right? So we, we have to get back to this place where we read this and we go, like, like they understood. Like, it was a matter of life and death. He, he, he's like, get the lamb, put the blood on the doorpost, because the firstborn might die. Like like God was not playing around even with the Hebrew people. He's like you need to do this, okay? So take that lamb, do that. Uh, but but you have to have this understanding first. So how do we get to this place? Well, in verse 21 and moving on will help us understand this. Uh, verse 21 says then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, "Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. <laughs> Maybe even some of them thought, "What? He's just kidding." Um, no, everybody would have been like, "You know, we we need to do what God said." And there's times that we do. We, you know, we we hear God's word or we hear His leading or direction, and, and then we go, "Yeah, but uh, I don't know that I want to do that." And then we wonder why, at times, when we don't have honor and reverence and respect for God, that sometimes things will go badly. And so what does he do? Well, he says that the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer. Um, this has been a big topic of conversation um, among church scholars for years, but this destroyer or just means to bring utter ruin. Doesn't sound like a good thing, right? Well, I believe he's talking about this angel of death. Now, God has his hand in everything, and there are spiritual things going on all around us um, that we need to be aware of. But but God, He'll use His angels at times to do specific things. And so, uh, I like what uh, Matthew Henry um, said about this. Uh, he said, But God would intimate to them that their safety was owing to the blood of sprinkling. If they put themselves from under the protection of that, it was at their peril. So, <clears throat> we're going to have to make a choice. It's like, you know, we make choices every day, right? Little ones, big ones. But every day we make this decision, like, do we, do we really trust God? Do we really rely on Him? And, and in that situation, you think, oh, that would have been easy because God said, I mean, the firstborn's going to die if we don't put the blood on the, the doorpost, so we're, we're going to do that. But then with everything else, like just daily that we experience, we go, it's an option. If I, I can do what God wants, if I feel like it, you know, if He leads me in this direction and tells me I should do this, I can be like, if I don't feel like it, I don't have to do it. But that's not the way we should view God, right? We, we many times take God's mercy, the other side of this, his grace, and we go, I don't really know that it's worth that much. Now, we wouldn't say that, but we, we live that way with our lives. We, we think that just because we don't get this this like, hey, everybody, get inside of your houses and, and put the blood above the doorpost or the firstborn will die, that God's not still serious about the way that we live and operate. Right? He is, right? Um, <clears throat> so we'll continue, verse 24. 28, we really need sacrificial worship and obedience because it, I don't know, it it seems like it should cost us something if we're following Jesus, doesn't it? Like um, if you read some of the things that Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, he, he talked about this costly grace. I mean, he was a guy who like under serious persecution and ended up losing his life because he was a follower of Jesus and he was trying to help other people be a follower of Jesus under an oppressive regime that killed people. All the time, uh, for being believers, and, and he said, "I'm willing to pay that cost." And we have a hard time like getting up in the morning and going like, "I want to read my Bible." No, I don't, so I won't, right? Like, we should we, we pay like a very small cost, our time, right? Maybe a little bit of our resources or money at times, like to to, to be closer to God. Right, that's why we're here this morning. We're like, we're taking our time. You're like, Pastor, stop being mean. I'm sitting here. I know it's a it's a holiday weekend, but I'm here, so that should count for something, right? I'm glad you're here. But but we can't get around these truths that it should cost us something, right? We think, okay, yeah, it cost them the lamb, but grace is free for me, and it is. But we can't be abusers of it, right? These are these stories, these historical uh, truths, like in the ark and in the Passover, that we. We kind of don't take seriously enough a lot of the time. I think because we have Jesus, we can just go, I can do what I want, and God's cool with it. Well, he's not, and this should illustrate enough for us that these things are serious and that the grace that we were given through Jesus should be understood as being costly, right? We should do something with it. I hope we are. Uh, Verse 24 says, You shall observe this right as a statute for you and your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you... This is important. He's talking about the future. What's going to happen when these people uh, come after you? He says in verse 26, And when your children say to you, What do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck down the Egyptians, but spared our houses, and the people bowed their heads and worshiped, <clears throat> then the people of Israel went out and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. So what did the people do? Well, it, it says here, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover um, <clears throat> To make an offering of righteousness. It's not like to to give something that doesn't matter, or or to say like, well, you know, I'll give like you know, we have a hard time going like tithing, ten percent. That's crazy. Like I would n- I would never do that, right? But, I mean, we have a hard time with like concepts like that, like giving back to the Lord of our time or money or resources. And, and and right here, he says, what are you going to tell your kids? Like, what are you going to tell your kids? Like later down the road, were you faithful to God? Were you not? Did you? It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. Like, there's something. It's costly, isn't it? The lamb that they had to give up. And then what do they do in response? Do they be like, oh, God's not really serious? I mean, he did flood the world, and that was a serious deal. But, like, now he's probably just kidding. No, nobody was like, yeah, he's kidding. This is serious, right? There's going to be a lamb that's going to have to shed its. Blood And what was their response to this? And the people, I love seeing this in the scripture. It's like, you see like these amazing pictures of like revival even among God's people And the scripture that it's like, he it, it, it wasn't like, well, half the people did. No, it, it says here in response to this, and the people, he's talking about the whole of the people, they bowed their heads and they worshiped. Man, what an amazing picture for us. And so this worship, this shakah, means to be in complete humility Facing the ground. I don't know if you've ever laid on the ground before. I and mean, when we sing about it in hymns, you know, like laying prostrate on the ground, right? People did that all the time in the scriptures. Like, they put on sackcloth, and they were, like, putting ashes on themselves because they were, like, I'm, I, I'm so overwhelmed by, like, who God is that my only response is to fall on my face. I mean, can you imagine doing that? Like, man, if we, if, if we even had any idea, like, what that was really like. I don't know. I... I think about those things because God's people then, the Hebrews, they understood what it was going to cost for not only the Egyptians to understand, to lose all those people, to understand who the one true God was, but for them, the lamb's blood on the door which was going to point them towards the future. Like, you're a people separated. There's always going to have to be the shedding of blood. And then what did they do? So they worshipped and the people went out and actually did it. Right? It's one thing to go like, yeah, God, you are awesome. We love you. Like we're, We will come on Sunday and we will worship you and then we will like, we'll be so happy about you. But then, Whole bang thing, I mean, that's more tough. I mean, like, when we leave this place, it's hard to do that. But what do they leave? They worshiped, and it says that the people of Israel went and they did so. They actually did something about what God said. And um, uh, what, what a novel idea that we would um, have this response towards God, not just worshiping Him. So, so these things really have to be coupled. I mean, we can't just look at this and go, God's got a design. I know He loves me. He saved me. He's allowed entry into His kingdom through this doorway. It's a good doorway. It's a narrow doorway. A doorway that to the tomb had to be rolled back so we could enter it. Blood had to be shed. And this shouldn't just produce worship in us. It should produce obedience. Um, we, we shouldn't be able to wake up in the morning and go like, yeah, God died for me because I'm awesome. Right? I'm not saying I don't like you guys. Everybody's wonderful. I love you guys. But at the same time, we, we can't go like, I deserve this. Because what happened to the Egyptians? Well, did God, God's people, did the Hebrew people deserve anything better? No, they were a people set apart, and God was making a point, and it was more about his glory, more about pointing towards this is who God is, and, and God was like, what are you going to tell your kids? <laughs> because when you do, you, know, you don't want to tell them the story where you're like, you didn't listen to God, because it didn't go well, right? You want to be able to say, hey, we worship God, and we obeyed him, right? We did what he said to do, and, and that's so hard, right? It's like, because I know in your houses, I mean, maybe growing up when you had kids, or maybe you have kids right now, when you say to do something, they always do it, right? Oh, yeah, Andy's like, yes, right? Always obedient, always, you know. So, but does that, does that ever really happen that way? Well, no, probably not. Most of the time, maybe half the time, maybe you got a good percentage there. <clears throat> but, but when it comes to God, like our relationship with him, like we should go, man, this, this grace was costly, and, and everything that I do in response to him, I should just be like, I, I'm going to worship God. And then I, my, the only thing I should do is just obey. Like, I should just do what God says all the time. And that, that's so hard for us. And I do it too. I'm like, God, I, I don't have time for that. Like, you know, I know you want me to go and talk to that person. or I you know you want me to go and help them out or do that thing. I, but, but that's going to cost me time. God, I, I know we're supposed to bless that family with this thing, but that's going to cost us money. And I mean, you, you know how it is, it doesn't grow on trees. We're all very much aware of that recently, aren't we, right? It's like, everything's like, what? You're like looking at the sticker of like bread and you're like, why is this so much money? When did that happen? But will we we know there's a cost for everything, right? You've heard the saying, nothing's free, right? And so this grace that we've been given should in turn turn our hearts and we go, this is our only response, like worship and obedience. That's just who we are, Right? there's tough days right we struggle and it's like man i i just seem like i keep getting this thing wrong god's like it's okay i'm here to pick you up (laughs) i'm here to help you along the way and and our other believers in the room our church family right we do that for each other so we said there's always hope right we can always make an adjustment and so here's the last thing renewal by god's power renewal by god's power and i love that i don't know if the graphics up there oh yeah it is cool cool yeah so i was trying to find something that the lion and the lamb. It's like we, we worship a God who is both. He, he not only died for our sins on the cross, but he's, he, like we talked about last week, in this description of who this lion is, Aslan, in the, um, the Chronicles of Narnia series, what does the character say? He's, he's good, right? He's not tame, right? He's, he's a good lion. He, he loves us, but he's not a tame lion, right? So you know, we worship this God who many times I, I feel like, depending on the day, we just sort of pick which one we want. Like, I like Lion God today because I need strength and I need power. Like, He's going to help me out. And then, like, today, like, man, I've really made a lot of mistakes. I really need, like, Lamb Jesus. He's so good to me. And, and we can't just take out the version that we want, you know? We have to take God as His entirety and we have to see Him for who He is uh, because when we see His power, sometimes it, it, it makes us go, I'm scared of that. And, and sometimes it should. We, we need to be renewed in understanding what God's power really is about. And so in verses 29 through 32, we've got to take both, right? It's the display of God's power. And in verse 29, we see these all powerful. There's no question, right? And God goes back to this control over life and death. And it says in verse 29, At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborns in the land of Egypt, the first uh, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. I think this is one of the saddest places in the scripture outside of like when God shut the door of the ark. And I can only imagine, too, I you know, always thought about like Noah as he's standing on the other side of the door going like, oh, God was, uh, he was serious. I mean, I believed him, but he shut the door. And, and now we're here, and it's like, I mean, the completion of all the plagues, like there's so many bad things that have already happened, like the pestilence. And, and if, if all those things weren't enough, the people were still, I don't know, maybe he's not really the one true God. And then what does he do? He demonstrates his power over life and death. And this is difficult for us because we we like to just look at God's mercy and His grace and go, He's so cuddly. I mean, He's like a you know He's like the my pillow, right? He's like I don't know if you guys have had one of those before, but it's something super you know soft and cushy. It's like helps me sleep at night. No, He's a God of all power, right? And of all control. He um, He's not a God to be ignored. And uh, not a God to just like, we can look at and go, I like you. I like to spend a little bit of time with you, but but not all the time. And I'm going to live the way that I want to. He's a serious God, right? His grace should be taken seriously. Um, we see all these sacrifices, these replacements throughout the Old Testament, and, and eventually we'll see in the New Testament. We already know this: what Jesus has done for us. But there's there's always a sacrifice. You, you think about uh, the ram that was given. Isaac, you know, it's like Abraham's walking up on that mountain, and he's like, I, <laughs> I trust God, but uh, I really don't want to do this. Um, Christy and I were talking the other day about that. We're like, How did? I mean, how could anyone, you know, do that? But, but what was it about? It was about going, God, I trust you, and I know, I know, you are the God of life and death. And a lot of people go, Well, that was harsh. Why would He make Him go up on that mountain and like have to go through those feelings of like having to sacrifice His son? But what did Abraham trust? That God was not just a God of like. You know, well, he can give me another son if I sacrifice his son. No, he's the God of life and death. So who's to say that God that Abraham, if he did follow through with that, sacrifices his son and, and God's like, He's alive. Because what does God do? He demonstrates that throughout history, throughout the Bible. He says, I'm the God of everything, not just the God of the things that you like, not just the God of grace and mercy, but he's a powerful God. So we need to view him that way. And then verse 30. Says, And Pharaoh rose up in the night, and he and all his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Hmm. This is hard, right? This is not like we, you know, we read this and, and we don't read these stories like at bedtime, right? It won't go well. Kids probably won't sleep. but But at the same time, we can't withhold truth. We can't say that we like parts of who God is in his word and not the other's. Because there's consequences for ignoring God. There's consequences for, for having this like, lack of humility and understanding of God's mercy and his grace. And, and like Bonhoeffer, not, not thinking that this was seriously costly what God has done for us. People of God, the Hebrews at that time, they were like, oh, God's grace is costly. It's seriously costly. Because what did it do? It not only cost the blood of the lambs, but all those who opposed God and their families. It says for the, for the Egyptian people, what happened? You can imagine. There was not a dry in those houses, right? It wasn't a story where you go like that. That makes me feel good. No, it's a story where you go, God's mercy and his grace, it means something to us. You can't imagine all the collective pain. And then here's the response to this. Verse 31 and 32, God's power, it's recognized fully by everyone. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, up, go out from among my people. But you and the people of Israel go Serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks, your herds, as you have said, and be gone and bless me also. What, what happens full circle for God's people, for the Egyptians? I, nobody's questioning at this point, like, is God really God? Is he the one true God? Does he have power and authority over everything? No. The, the Hebrew people were, like, falling on their faces worshiping God and going, like, one true God, we do what you say Always. We, we want it to go well for us. And then Pharaoh, at the end of all of us, I mean, he's, he's lost everything, right? He's lost his family now. Um, but He's lost all these other things leading up to the way. There's no food to feed people. Their houses are destroyed. A lot of other people have died in the midst of all this pestilence. And leading up to this point, he says, okay, God must be the one true God. And in fact, you, know, you might not think, well, he didn't really say that, but when he says the word here, he says, serve the Lord. This is Pharaoh talking to Moses and Aaron, and he says to them, hey, you know that God, the one true God? By the way, the only God, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm not a God. I know I said that before, but but I'm not. Jehovah is clearly the one true God. And, and he openly admits this, and he says, go serve the Lord as you've said. Now, <laughs> this is hard for us because it, it helps us understand, right? It's like there's this... There's always this consequence of not belonging to God, not knowing him, and then opposing him directly and having this lack of humility and lack of worship and not really knowing him. Because what should this produce in us always is read these things. We shouldn't go like, man, God was mean, and then he got nice after Jesus came. There was always a consequence. There was always this shedding of blood. And when Jesus, the perfect son of God, got on the cross and he shed his blood, what are all these things that happen? I mean, we'll read about one of these other doors. There, this, this entryway to the temple, to this inner place where God's presence dwelled. Jesus said, when I spilled out my blood, I'm gonna rip that gigantic veil in half. Now you can, oh, wait a second. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. So you have direct access to God all the time if you believe in what he's done for you. So this produces what in us? By design, worship and obedience. And we always look to God's power and we go, Man, holy God, who are we to govern our lives? Who are we to, to stay where we should and shouldn't go or what we should do? We should always be resting in God's presence and his direction. I know uh, we've got some young people here today too that are thinking like, you know, where am I gonna be in a few years? I'm going off to college. Like, What, what am I gonna do? And there's always a lot of confusion around that time, but I just wanna reassure you and our families and us that, that, that God always knows. Like he always knows the answer. He always knows what's coming up. He, he's, uh, he's separated from that, from that way. And us, in time, we can just go, God, we... We trust you, right? Like Abraham did, like Moses did, like Noah did. There's all these people. It's like we look in the scripture and they truly worshiped and they obeyed God. And what was the result? It wasn't that they were gonna make mistakes later down the road. It was just that in the moment when they understood who God truly was, the only thing they did was they worshiped and they obeyed. And they were renewed. Why? Because they really understood full circle what God's power was, what he was capable of, and the good news is, well, in all of this, God can renew you today. You know, we don't have to go back to that place in time and experience those things, but we can read them and go. If this grace was that costly, if God's power and His presence and understanding who He truly is, man, it it can bring us to this place where we can go. God, I really do believe what You've done for me. I really do believe that this this grace is costly. At this Passover door, it means something. Like when we we take the Lord's Supper, when when Jesus Himself picked up this and He's he said, I'm not going to take this again until I return again. It meant even more to us, didn't it? He said, here's the bread, here's the blood, this is my body, and this is what it's really about. Oh, the Lamb of God has come, and now he's covered us. We don't need the Lamb above the Lamb's blood above the doorpost. We just need Jesus' blood. The good news is, it's all we need for salvation, if we believe in what he's done for us. And so I wonder, if you're here today, or maybe you're listening online, you're like, I just need... I need that renewal. I've never experienced that before. Like these stories have scared me, but when, when you understand them in their entirety of who God is, where does it point us back to? If we believe, if we trust in God, he's given us this right placement. He's forgiven us. It should make us just stand in awe, worship him and obey him. Always, we're gonna make mistakes. I do every day too. But the good news is he's still there to pick us up and say, man, I love you. Um, if you view me rightly, then you will obey, you will worship. So my hope is that when we read these things, we won't be upset with God. We won't say, why, why, why? Why would you do that? Why would you allow that to happen? Why would you be a part of that? But God, you are holy, you are just, you're merciful, more than we even deserve. It's like we don't even deserve to be sitting in the room, but yet God us at this place in time to be here to say, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for bringing me here and, uh, and reading what your word has for us today. Um, I know I feel that this morning. So what I want to do is pray for us. If you need to talk to somebody, I'll be here afterwards. Um, if you want to reach out to us online, then you're welcome to do that as well. Um, and this prayer will um, also be for our time together. We're going to have our business meeting, but we um, always accompany that like Good Baptists, with food. So um, we will share that together. Um, so let me pray for you, and then we'll be dismissed to our uh, business meeting time frame. Okay, Father, we uh, thank you for um, this time together, for your word. We pray that you would... Um, just help us understand. Um, God, it's so difficult when we read things like this, but when we, when we look at all the doors of the Bible, it, it seems like it makes it much more clear. Um, God, that you're, uh, you're somebody who's designed this for us, our salvation, um, that it was costly, God. And I pray that as we, we read these things, we would understand how to um, worship. Um, we would understand what it means to obey you, to um, follow you in humility, um, that we would live our lives like this, and we understand your full power Uh, the only thing that it does for us is just turns us towards you. Um, God, thankful that we belong to you and that we're a part of your family and and all the benefits and all the mercies that we experience every single day. I pray that we would uh, use that well, um, that we would would see this and go, God, thank you that I am a part of your family, um, that I get to uh, dwell in that, um, that there's this eventual place for us in heaven where we will dwell forever. And um, God, we love you. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to be renewed today. Um, to learn more about you, to understand who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, So you can take